Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, it's really good to see you again here at Crosspoint. Um, I'm just going to pray before we get into God's Word, and so I'm going to invite you to join me as we do that. Lord, I, I humble myself before you, and I, I do sincerely ask that you would fill me now with your spirit. Um, I yield my mind, my body, my words, my thoughts to you right now. And Spirit of God, we, we ask you to, to um, expand our minds, to apply the truth of the scripture, um, and I want to thank you that you're going to do that. Amen. You know, a number of years ago, I was on a flight. I don't, I don't fly very much, so I'm one of these nervous flyers. I don't know how many of you are nervous flyers, but I'm one of these guys who, um, when the plane is taking off, I'm a little stressed, and when the plane is landing, I'm a little stressed. And when it happens, and it's all good and done, it's like, thank you, God, I didn't get, get it in an accident today. But anyways, on a flight, I was flying back from Dallas, and we had a layover in Colorado, and then we're going to come over into Edmonton. And as we hit, hit Colorado, the, the Denver area, uh, there was a, a big, huge thunderstorm that was going on, and we hit some fairly significant turbulence. And um, needless to say, my stress level uh, bumped up a little bit, and we floated around, or we flew around the airport for about 30 minutes, and the plane is jittering all over the place, and I'm just going, oh my, I don't like this. Um, it was really my first experience of flying with turbulence, and um, it was nervous. And so I, I thought, you know, I'm going to look up some stories on the internet of people who've experienced turbulence. And one story talks about a United Airlines flight, and, and uh, the plane had turbulence, and they were just kind of flying. So the pa- a lot of the passengers weren't buckled in, and um, they were thrown literally from their seats. Oxygen masks dropped from overhead, and this plane took this harrowing, at least what people thought was a harrowing drop amid turbulence. And, and it was pretty serious. 21 people were injured and had to be treated in the hospital after the flight was, was all said and done. How many of you ever experienced turbulence while you're flying? Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun, isn't it? Um, one writer posted this on the internet. On a recent flight across country, I experienced the worst and scariest turbulence of my life. I thought we were dead. We were at 41,000 feet and we entered a thunderstorm. We had violent updrafts and then we would drop like a rock. And the wings on the plane were just, you know, flapping back and forth. And the author of this asked some questions. Is turbulence like this something to really worry about? Can the plane get damaged? It's just so scary. I thought I would never get on a plane again. And, and someone responded back to this posting and said, next time, wear diapers. <laughs> uh, probably not bad advice. Now, you can read on the internet all sorts of different ways they um, assess turbulence on planes. Uh, but we have turbulence in other spheres of our life as well. I mean, if you look at Webster's Dictionary, the word turbulence means great commotion or agitation. And if you look at the world these days, I mean, I think that would describe our world. There's political turbulence today. Um, we see it everywhere. I mean, I don't know how much you watch the news. I watch the news every day. Um, and you hear about ISIS, you hear about North Korea and the standoff with the world and with the states. And you hear about the, the leaders of these two countries talking about how big the buttons are on their desks. Um, we, we hear about Venezuela and all the the changes from a democracy to a very different government, Syria, Al-Qaeda, Middle East, Africa. I mean, it, it is everywhere in our world. There's political turbulence today. We have economic turbulence. Just this past week, I'm sure you, you, you were aware of the markets. Uh, they went into what seemed like a free fall. 
a huge drop on both the Dow Jones and the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, people talk about climate turbulence these days. The, the storms and the weather patterns um, just seem to be increasing in a bit of intensity and in severity. And, and then there's turbulence in sexual ethics and, and policies governing those things and policies governing health around the world. Uh, there's turbulence. What makes a human being a human? Um, robots are now becoming citizens in, in various countries in the world. And, and, and then we have this turbulence, you know, that's kind of the macro. And then we have the turbulence on our own, own lives, right? Is my job safe? Is this new business venture going to work out? What about my marriage? I, I mean, I wonder if my partner really still loves me. My health. My body just doesn't seem to work the same way. I, and I certainly have experienced this personally. In the last two years, I've, I've had three major health incidences. And I'm going, okay, what is going on with my body? Is it letting me down? And some people say, my kids. My kids seem to be tracking in the wrong direction. How in the world did that happen to them? Well, over this past year, I have been grinding through the Psalms. I've never done this in my entire life. Methodically read the Psalms. And I have been going through the Psalms and taking my time to actually try to understand these pieces of poetry that for me is not how my mind is wired. And, and, and I mean, it's been incredibly beneficial to me. And a couple of months ago, I landed on Psalm 93. And as I went through it, I was sitting in bed. As I went through it uh, one night, my wife was sleeping and I was just voraciously writing notes. And I thought that God was talking to, to me and it, it caught my attention. And so my, my goal today is just to go through this Psalm with you, Psalm 93, in kind of a devotional fashion and kind of just share with you what I think God shared with me uh, that night. And, and I want to show how this psalm relates to our lives, because I think it's, a, it's kind of a priceless psalm. And my goal is, is just to reveal to you my, my thought process. Uh, I've since done a little bit more research and work on it, um, and just kind of tell you about my life and my view of God. So Psalm 93 starts with these words, the Lord reigns. And that's kind of just the title of it, the Lord reigns. Uh, Dr. James Mays says that this phrase, the Lord reigns, is the organizing phrase, the organizing thought for the entire book of Psalms. It's the short little phrase. He says, everything in the Psalms is pointing to this one truth, that God reigns. Yahweh Moloch, the Lord reigns. He is the supreme king, and he is on the throne. As Revelation says, and maybe you've, you've heard the, the Messiah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And then in Revelation chapter 1, it says, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. My daughter, who um, is just a sweetheart, she's 10 years old, but she, she gets these moments in her life where she has to really wrestle with anxiety. And I've just been teaching her this psalm and just saying, Yahweh Moloch. So she's walking around now, like, Yahweh Moloch, Dad, the Lord reigns. So I want, you, I want you to look at this picture. Hopefully we can put it up on the screen. Um, there it is. I was at, a, I was at a, a client's house recently, and they had uh, this picture on their wall. And behind uh, the picture of Jesus, the king, is a history of numerous kings throughout history. And I just thought, you know, that is a great picture. He is the king. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Um, and, you know, it just it helps me sometimes to get an image of it. it it's interesting, and, and might I say that it is, it is imperative that when life is turbulence that we have a, an option in our lives to regain a correct view of God. For, for most of us, at least for myself, maybe not for you, but for myself, when life gets frustrating or complicated, I don't necessarily reject God. In fact, I don't reject Him. But I'm certainly very capable of reducing Him. 
of making him a little bit smaller than he is. G. Campbell Morgan, who lived through World War I, said this, we must interpret our circumstances by God, not God by our circumstances. It's easy to develop a big circumstance and a little view of God, a little God view of life. You know, especially when we sing like songs like Our God Reigns, and we don't see his reign in our lives. We, we, see, we see turbulence. We, we, see, uh, we see mess. We see unpredictability. But every so often, um, I think we need the medicine of this psalm for our souls. So we're going to walk through it. Let me, let me give you the sermon in a sentence. It's really, it's not that, that creative, but the king is large and he's in charge. Um, he is large and he is in charge. The whole world is currently under incompetent leaders in every realm. But there is a king who is incredibly competent, and he is qualified to run my life for me. He is able to restore order to my little part of the cosmos. He is big enough and powerful enough, and he is in control enough for every person in every situation, in every moment, and in every place. He is large, and he is in charge. So how does he reign? Well, the psalm gives us five things, how he reigns. First, he reigns majestically. The king reigns majestically. Look at these words. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty. Uh, we have this fascination as human beings uh, uh, with uh, kings and queens and presidents um, or stars in every you know, sector of society. Uh, and usually what follows these people is pomp and ceremony. And, and many people love to see the majesty you know, of, of a king or of a queen or of the, a royal wedding. But in truth, it's nothing compared to the majesty of our king. Look what Daniel says when he saw this vision of the future. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. I mean, there is, it is majestic. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, in the year King Uzziah, day, Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Isaiah is in distress. It is 740 B.C. King Uzziah had been a fixture in Israel. He had led Israel for 52 years. For the most part, the nation of Israel during his reign was, was a pace, uh, place of prosperity. It was a place of peace. Uh, he was a military genius. He had trained this huge army. Um, he had kept the Assyrians at bay. The Assyrians were this rising world superpower. They were savage. They were incredibly cruel. And he had kept them away from Israel. And he was an economic wizard. Um, he had done all sorts of things that the economy was flourishing. And his fame had spread far and wide. But now he's died and there's cracks that are appearing in their culture. The people are confused. They are nervous. What do you do when, you, when everything you've been counting on, your, your money, your job, your tenacity, your network, what do you do when whatever you've been banking on crumbles around you? Well, Isaiah says, I went to the temple, and that day I saw the king. I saw the ultimate king, the ruler over everything. And he says he was seated on the throne. He's sitting. He's not pacing back and forth. He's not wringing his hands. He's not, you know, struggling or searching. Or, or, but he's sitting. He's secure. He's in control. Everyone in the throne room knows that the king is in control. No one is worried. And Isaiah says not only was he sitting, but he, Isaiah sees his robe. Now, for those of you who've been to a wedding or walked down the aisle, uh, this is not a chapel-length train. This is not a cathedral-long train. Isaiah chapter 6, but it says, but it fills the temple, and it's just the train of the robe filling the temple. Down the aisle and back again, back, 
back to front, doubling and redoubling. Isaiah is suffocating out of the majesty that is just coming off the robe of the king. He is overcome by the holiness that the only thing he can describe is the fringe of the clothing. And then typically at a presidential event, there are attendants. Well, in this case, there are angels. Not those chubby, you know, toddler-like little three, three-year-old angels that are on, on Valentine, Valentine cards. These are magnificent, powerful, terrifying creatures. And they are crying out. And it says the doorposts and the thresholds are shaking. The place is coming apart and Isaiah feels it. And when God comes down anywhere in Scripture, things always tremble. Smoke is filling the palace. Isaiah sees the sheer majesty of the king on the throne. And he says, I'm ruined. I'm absolutely destroyed. It's a word. That word ruined in the Hebrew language means I'm going to disintegrate. I'm going to fly apart. What kind of God is this? This is a majestic king. He's dangerous. He's not tame. See, in the presence of human greatness, most of us feel average or mediocre. But you get in the presence of the king of kings, something else happens. I mean, Isaiah is no dummy. He's got great intelligence. He's a brilliant man. Uh, he was referred to often in, in uh, commentaries as the man with a golden tongue. Um, Isaiah had grown up in the royal family. He is, he is a sophisticated human being, and yet he sees the king, and he is completely undone. He reigns majestically. Now, I could give you picture after picture in the Bible where the exact same thing happens. People see the majesty of the king on the throne, and they, they often said, I, I fell down as if I was dead. The psalmist goes on, not only does he reign majestically, he reigns powerfully. The Lord is robed in majesty, and he is armed with strength. Not only is majestic, but he has got great strength. Because what good is a king without strength? I mean, a king can have riches, a king can rule a kingdom from coast to coast. He can have royal robes and, and look really nice. But a king with no army and no strength is powerless. Uh, but you don't have to worry about that with this king. He is ready to fight and to go into battle for you. He is a, he is a commander of the armies of heaven. His power is not derived from another one. When he executes his power, he needs no permission. You know, this last week, the U.S. Congress just approved uh, to increase their military spending, I believe, to $700 billion for this next year. They are the most powerful nation on the earth militarily, militarily, but their power is a borrowed power. Maybe you need to think about it this way. Great leaders, presidents, and kings, they build armies and palaces. Our king build solar systems. That's the difference. Um, the king owns and runs and uses everything for his purpose. He is more powerful than our sin, than our trials, and our greatest fears. Um, he's a king with great strength. You know, as I've been reading through the Psalms, it's been really important to me to see the, the strength of the king on the throne. This past year, um, in 2017, not 2018, but, but my business had some major hiccups. Um, and um, it was incredibly distressing to me. You, for those of you who've been involved in business and you build something and then you see it kind of disintegrating around you, um, it, it was very painful uh, for me to see this. And there were many days where I questioned whether or not I should just close it up and move on with my life. And in, in, the, in my reading of Psalms, uh, I came across Psalm chapter 18. And this is what David says. And this is, this is kind of what was my anchor for me. David says this, with God's strength, or with God's help, 
I can advance against a troop, and with my God, I can scale a wall. With God's strength, I can, I can deal with opposition. I can deal with foes. I can deal with, with things that are complicating my life. And he says, with God's strength, I can scale a wall. I can scale obstacles. I can scale, I can scale things that seem like I can't scale, something that's restricting me. And, um, you know, seeing the king on the throne and realizing he wants to give that strength to me has just, has just been the thing that sustained me. One author write, writes this, and I wrote this down in my Bible. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your power. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you, you shall be the miracle. The king is not limited to my inability. Uh, Mabel Francis went to Japan in 1909 to be a missionary. She was in her 60s when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. Um, she saw the news, she read about it, and, and as she reflected on that, she decided, you know, I'm going to stay in Japan because God's called me here, and I'm going to work right through the war. And as the, the war worsened, she was placed under house arrest in her home in Tokyo. And, and over the years, uh, the local police and the local government actually began to respect her and treat her with humanity, and she turned her little house into a small hospital in Japan. And enormous amount of sick people were treated there. Slowly, food became worse and worse and more and more scarce, um, toward the end of the war, it became obviously even more dangerous as the Allies started bombing every major city in Japan. I mean, the bombings were occurring every single night. The whole city was in ruins. She was weak. She was undernourished. She was exhausted. She was desperate. And on one of those days, she opened her Bible and she found this verse. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is fully committed to him. In the rest of her life, she chronicles about how God told her that, that day when she read that verse, that's, that's your verse. I'm promising this to you. How God opened doors after the war to plant a church. Many Japanese people came to Christ. Uh, it led to her founding the Far Eastern Gospel Crusade, which later today has become Send International, which is in now over 20 nations in Asia with 700 missionaries. Mabel, with unflagging energy, brought hope and healing to a nation that had been decimated by a nuclear attack. And when she left Japan in her old age to go back to the U.S., she was recognized as an honorary citizen of her city. And she said, it all came back to this. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. The king is strong, and he wants to show himself strong in our lives. He has always reigned. That's the third thing. Indeed, the world is established firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. Before the mountains were brought forth and before you formed the earth, you were God. Because he has reigned eternally, he's going to reign eternally forever. So however turbulent and crazy the world gets around us, however hard of a place you're in, he will always reign. He is still reigning. His, history is his story. The, the fourth thing is the, the psalm says he reigns triumphantly. Um, look at these verses. Um, it says, the seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. The imagery of wild water in the Bible is often used to describe um, a world that is a falling apart at the seams. Um, it, it's used to describe things that are threatening God. And it can reference three things in the Bible. It can reference a powerful foe. And you find that in Isaiah and in a bunch of other places. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring the, against them the mighty flood waters of the Euphrates. 
the king of Assyria with all his pomp will sweep on into Judah, swirling over it. He will over, it will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks. So sometimes uh, wild water can refer to foe or opposition. And I'm sure some of you are experiencing that in your life. Or it can refer to a terrible problem. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Any one of you feel like news has come your way that is just like wild water that's going to drown you? And wild water can also refer to a decaying culture. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. You know, sometimes I look at our culture and it stresses me out. I mean, I have little kids and I, I sometimes look at it and I go, what kind of world are my kids going to have to deal with 15 years from now? What kind of conversations are they going to have to navigate what, what kind of conversations about eugenics um, are they going to have to deal with? I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, a medical doctor was at our place um, just last week, and, and he was saying in Iceland today, there are no Down syndrome kids. And the reality is because they're practicing eugenics. They're, they're terminating their lives before they're born. This is happening all around the world, these things. Uh, our world is getting crazier and crazier, and it's there is, a, there is an evil, sinister force at work in our world, and our cultures are decaying. Catherine Booth, who worked alongside her husband as he founded the Salvation Army, said on one occasion, The waters are rising, but so am I. I am not going under, but I am going over. He can reign over, over difficult problems, and he reigns righteously. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. See, when God reigns, he, he lives by his statutes. He reigns holy, with holiness. And the truth is, you look around, your earthly kings, people in positions of power, uh, I mean, you just have to watch the news for a week. You, you see the enormous amount of corruption that's going on in the world. It's interesting to me that when people get power, they get very easily corrupted. We see it in the financial markets. We see it in politics. We see it in the entertainment industry. We see it in Syria where civilians are being gassed by their own government. We, we see it in Korea where family members are mysteriously being killed. We see it in our country. We see it in the U.S. circles. But the king of the universe rules with holiness and by his statutes. So I'm reading this psalm in the evening, and I'm sitting beside my wife. And I ask myself, okay, Art, if this is true that God, God reigns and he's kind of doing it in all these different ways... Big deal. What are the implications for my life? What, what, what does that matter? Um, well, there's, there's many, and I could give you enormous. I've narrowed it down for three for you. And these are three that God has been speaking to me about. So I'm just going to tell you what God told me. So three implications. Because he on the throne, he's on the throne, my, prayer, my prayers make an impact. According to legend, one of Alexander the Great's generals approached Alexander the Great after many years of service, and he asked Alexander if he would pay for his daughter's wedding. So Alexander thought about his general's loyalty, and it seemed like a really small request. So Alexander the Great agreed to pay for his general's daughter's wedding. And Alexander told the general to request the funds from the treasurer. So a little while later, the, the treasurer came back to Alexander, and he was all alarmed, and he told him that the general was requesting funds for the most extravagant wedding Greece had ever, ever seen. C clearly, he said, the 
to Alexander, the general is abusing your generosity. And Alexander thought for a moment, and then he said this, give it to him, for my general pays me two honors. First, he believes that I am rich enough to afford his request. And second, he believes that I'm generous enough to grant it. And I think that's the way we need to approach the king on the throne. We need to believe that he's rich enough to grant our requests and that he's generous enough to grant it. Um, look at how the king views us when we pray. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne, the throne of grace with confidence so that we may, be, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, when we pray, we have to realize we are approaching the throne of the king of the universe, not some incompetent, weak little being. And we need to realize that when we're approaching the, the throne of the king of the universe, we're approaching as a son and as a daughter, and that he is rich enough. He is rich enough to grant us our request, and he is generous enough to do it. I love it the way Charles Spurgeon puts it. He says, when we pray, we are standing in the palace on the glittering floor of the great king's own reception room, we stand where angels bow with veiled faces. And then he writes this, Do not bring before God stinted petition and narrow desires. Ask, he says, after a godlike fashion for great things. Before, because, he says, you are before a great throne. Ask for great things. Notice, it's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of condemnation. It's not a throne of criticism or law or judgment. It is a throne of grace that dispenses gifts of grace to his children. Prayer can do whatever God can do. John Newton is credited with this little poem. Thou art coming to the king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power such, none can ever ask too much. So as I'm sitting, reading this psalm, I ask myself this question. Art? When was the last time you asked God for something really bold? See, many of us make the mistake of thinking that God's mightiest works are things of the past. Are, am I praying prayers of memory of things that God's done in the past that I'm thinking? Or am I praying prayers of imagination where I'm imagining what God might do down the road? Over in the Old Testament, God gave Amos a message. This is, the, this is the message. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Do not seek Bethel. Don't go down to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. Seek the Lord and live. And you go, what in the world is that talking about? It may, to us, it doesn't mean anything. But to, to those people, it meant a lot. Because those, those were Middle Eastern cities. And in Amos' day, they knew exactly what God had done in those Middle Eastern cities. At... Um, at Bethel, God had renewed his promise to Jacob to make him a great nation. At Gilgal, the children of Israel emerged from wandering in the desert for 40 years. And at Gilgal, God performed this mighty miracle and the Jordan River parted in front of them. And then he knocked down the walls of Jericho. At Beersheba, God gave Abraham possession of the promised land. And each of, each of those little phrases in those, those verses in, in Amos is, is a time when God moved powerfully on earth. And through Amos, God says to the people, would you be quiet about Bethel? I'm sick of hearing about Beersheba. Seek me now in your generation. Ask me to do something profound in this generation. I am the God of the present. And so I ask you, when was the last time 
You went to the throne, the king on the throne. And you asked him for something like really meaningful because he can do it. You know, I hesitated to share this, but I'm going to talk about it. When I, when I first started my business six and a half years ago, I mean, I changed careers from being a pastor to going into business. Really didn't know what I was doing, but I knew how to pray. And so every single day I would go on a walk. I had uh, two very little kids at the time. And I would take my kids on a stroller walk and I would go pray. And I had very large things I prayed for about my business. And you know what? God did it. He just did it. I, I remember about eight months in, one of the people that was leading the organization I was in said, you know, you, you have rabbit's feet. And I, I said, no, I don't have rabbit's feet. I, I, know, I know someone who is just like supernaturally blessing my business. Interesting to me as I, as I look at my life over the last six and a half years, how less and less over time I've been praying about my business and how more and more complicated it's getting for me. And I just, as God is just was saying to me, would you just start asking me again? Would you just get before the throne and start asking me again? We need this truth. Now, every sincere Christian recounts times when they ask something from God, they believe God wanted to give them, but God didn't do it for them. And so we need the second truth. Because he, on the, he is on the throne, my problems have a purpose. A lot of times we don't really know the reasons why things happen or what God is doing through them. It's like John Piper says, at any given moment, God is doing about 10,000 different things in your life, and you're probably only aware of three of them. God is in control, and, and he's not laid down his pen in the story he's writing of our lives. Look at First Peter. At present, you may be temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials. This is no accident. Life is not a series of random events that have no meaning, is what he's saying. It happens to prove your faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. And I wrote down, nothing can happen in my life without the Heavenly Father's permission. Everything is Father-filtered. I'm not saying that everything happens as God's will. What I am saying is this, God permits, He allows problems, and He's using them for a greater purpose. He is able to turn bad things into good things. C.S. Lewis, I love this quote, said, if you think of this world as a place intended simply for your happiness, you're going to find it quite intolerable. But if you think it as a place of training and correction, it's not so bad. You know, sometimes we can see what good God is doing and sometimes we can't. So, so we need this. You know, we, we need to, to, to pray big things. We need to believe that God's got a purpose behind what's going on in our lives. And lastly, um, and this was really important to me that day, um, because he's on the throne, I can relax about what's going on in the world. Daniel chapter 2 says, God changes times and seasons, he removes kings, and he sets up kings. You know, there's so many examples in the Bible. In Genesis 20, you read about how Abraham went down to Gerar, which is south of Canaan, and he had a very beautiful wife, and to protect himself, he said that his beautiful wife, Sarah, was his sister. So Abimelech, the king, took Sarah into his harem, but God the Bible says, came to Abimelech in a dream and he threatened him with death if he did not give Sarah back to Abraham untouched. And Abimelech protested in his innocence and God said something very important. God said this, I know that you have done, what you have, that you have done this in the integrity of your heart and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. That story 
You, you chronicle through the, the Old Testament someday and you read how much God intervenes in human governments. I encourage you to do it. It's, it's an incredibly encouraging thing to do. The reign of Christ today over the rulers of the earth, that meaning he regulates what the kings of the earth do. Sometimes he holds them back from evil. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he arranges international events for his purposes. But at the end of the day, this psalm helps me relax. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He really is. Let's pray. Is, you, is your life turbulent today? Or do you see the king, like the king on the throne? When was the last time that you boldly and confidently came to that king and you prayed? Not, not a thank you for your food, which is great to pray, but something that is a significant petition. If you haven't done it recently, I encourage you right now just to bring it before him. Father, I pray for this church and myself. I pray that we would, uh, we, would, we would get the medicine of this psalm, that we would see you on your throne. Help us to expand our imaginations to see what you might do if we were to ask you to do it. Help us to see your throne, God, as a throne of grace, as a, th a throne of kindness towards us, as a throne where we can, we can know that you're in charge, God, and we can relax even though we see all the things going on around us that seem so chaotic. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.